This episode of Nocturne is brought to you with support from Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you gain the deeper knowledge you get from reading, even when you can't physically read a book, like when you're driving or doing dishes. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Audible is offering Nocturne listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. Just go to audible.com slash nocturne or text nocturne to 500-500, browse their selection, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. I'm currently really enjoying Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. This is an incredibly comprehensive book that answers a huge array of questions about sleep, from how sleep affects learning and mood, to why you really do need eight hours of sleep, even if you think you don't, to how lack of sleep can affect safe driving even more than drinking alcohol. Why We Sleep is both informative and relatable, not just supplying interesting facts, but also giving information that can help you sleep better and be healthier. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial at audible.com slash nocturne or text nocturne to 500-500. That's audible.com slash nocturne or text nocturne to 500-500. That's nocturne with an E. Listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. One of the things that changes instantly when you have a baby is your relationship to sleep. It usually becomes scarce and precious. For many new parents, nighttime becomes a battlefield in which it's you against your cherished offspring. And seemingly everyone has advice about the right way to win. But most of the advice dies down after the baby, quote unquote, learns to sleep. Much less talked about is the continuing nighttime struggle between parents and their young kids. Because by the time your child is a year or two old, any competent parent has it under control, right? Kids go to sleep and parents get to have their night. My first thing that I was curious about is what are your memories as a kid of going to sleep? And how, how was it? And did you have trouble? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. I always had a light on in my closet. In your closet? Not yeah. a nightlight? To me, that would totally freak me out because I would think like that makes the monster know exactly how Well, to... I think the closet was the most likely location for the monster to take up residence. So the light kept the monster from occupying the closet and, made, and it illuminated the closet and guaranteed that there was no monster in the closet. Because it would be exposed then? Yeah, because monsters need dark, right? Oh. So the light in the closet, you're right, a nightlight would have been much simpler. I remember occasionally waking up in the middle of the night and going into my parents' room because I had a bad dream. I never got to stay in their room. I, I was always escorted back to my room, which is a far harder line than I take with my own children. <laughs> That's Adam, father of two girls. My name is Adam Mansback. When Adam's first daughter was a couple of years old, getting her to sleep was something of an ongoing saga. You know, sleeping was not high on her list of priorities. And she was then and is still now, like, real smart, real verbal, 
real sassy kid. But even back then when she was two and a half, it wasn't like disobedience and she wasn't a kid who like screamed and cried. I think it was just that like the hard drive of her mind would not spin down on command. She spent all day learning all types of shit and it's like, okay, turn it off, go to sleep. You know, she's like, you kidding me? Like this is gonna take me a couple hours, you know? So yeah, I would be in her room for sometimes upward of two hours trying to put her to sleep. I should also say that her mother put her to bed far more than I did. Um, and there were a lot of nights I tried to get out of it when it was my turn. I think it was more frustrating for me and possibly harder for me than it was for her mother. But it was no picnic for either of us. Was she scared or was she just kind of like on? No, she was not scared at all. There was no fear. There was just kind of uh, a, a bubbly, effervescent, talkative. <laughs> she just wanted to hang out, you know? She just wanted to party. The idea that, that on command she should just like be still, close her eyes, made no sense to her. The idea that in order to go to sleep you had to act like you were already asleep, <laughs> like, did not compute for her. But she also didn't want to be alone. I mean, we, we, we painted ourselves into that corner. What do you mean? Uh, you know, she was like in the bed with us and we didn't do the sleep training thing. We didn't do the, you know, the Dr. Ferber thing. Her mother and I were definitely much more on the, like, attachment parenting side of the spectrum. Attachment parenting, if you don't know, is a parenting philosophy that stresses empathy and lots of physical closeness for babies and kids. Think co-sleeping and breastfeeding past six months. We were living in this carriage house, and there really was only one bedroom. So that might have had something to do with it. But, you know, also we were, like, on some laid-back family bed, cuddle and be cozy kind of shit. I pretty much had to just lie there with her. This was, she was really little, so I think a lot of the time, depending on the time of year, she was probably going to bed with, with light out, which always feels wrong to me, you know? No matter what age a kid is, you're like, go to sleep, and like birds are singing, you know, the sun is shining, uh, ice cream trucks are like pulling up, you know? It's the worst. <laughs> so you would mostly just be lying there for hours just like thinking? Yeah, thinking trying to stifle my own fury. <laughs> I definitely tried to sneak out a lot. What would happen if you were like, okay, you stay here and I'm gonna go and you'll fall asleep? Crying happened and like pleading and like, Papa, come back, you know, that kind of thing. And did you always just come right back? Yeah, I was a total sucker. Like, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty soft touch when it comes to, you know, my children. Yeah, but what I also did, the mistake I often made was Again, out of sheer desperation to get the fuck out of that room, yeah, there'd be that sort of onset of pre-sleep and like the kid's not moving anymore, the eyes are closed, and deep down you know they're not asleep, but you kind of like, you know, you do that thing where it takes you five minutes to get up because you're moving as slowly as you possibly can, and you get halfway to the door, and then they like start and wake up, and you're like, I'm an idiot. Like, if I had just waited five minutes, I could have actually left, but I'm so eager to get out of here that I played myself, and now I got another hour ahead of me. You know, I would check myself by reminding myself that this was a person that I love dearly, and that there are worse things than being in a room with, like, your favorite human being. 
you know, but that was very ineffective, you know, <laughs> you can try to tell yourself that shit, but really you're like, God damn it, what, get, I gotta get the fuck out of here. The cats nestle close to their kittens. The lambs have laid down with the sheep. You're cozy and warm in your bed, my dear. Please go the fuck to sleep. The windows are dark in the town, child. The whales huddle down in the deep. I'll read you one very last book if you swear. You'll go the fuck to sleep. You may remember this pseudo-bedtime story from a while back. Adam is the one who wrote it. And yes, that is Samuel Jackson reading it. While most of us just gripe or cry or silently suffer as we try to get our kids to sleep, Adam wrote 14 rhyming verses, saying out loud what most of us would only think to ourselves. The book is called Go the Fuck to Sleep. I wrote the book when she was two and a half. I didn't have a blueprint, but I also didn't have any sense whether anybody else was going through what I was going through. Um, and as it turns out, neither did anybody else in America which is why the book, you know, <laughs> resonated. That's a little bit of an understatement, but more about that later. The idea took form while Adam was hanging around with friends at a week-long summer teaching institute, drinking wine one night, and talking about the difficulties he was having putting his daughter to sleep. I joked that I was going to write a kid's book called Go the Fuck to Sleep. When he got home, he threw out something about it on the Internet. So I, like, posted something on Facebook to that effect, like, look out for my forthcoming children's book, Go the Fuck to Sleep. It was not met with, like, a, a landslide of support or anything. Like, a few people were like, yeah, ha-ha, motherfucker. Um, nobody thought I was going to really do it. Adam didn't overthink it. He sat down and put pen to paper. I banged out a draft very quickly. It wasn't calculated. It was just, you know, that, that rare thing where... You happen to express a sentiment that hits some kind of bullseye without even trying very hard. You know, it's funny because, I, I mean, I'd written a bunch of novels before this, but poetry is kind of like my first love as a writer. The first thing I took seriously as a writer was I, I wrote rap lyrics. I was, a, I was an MC, and I did that very seriously for a long time. And, and rhymes and rhyming and wordplay and meter, you know, I have a, a real love for that. Once he'd written the bulk of the verses, Adam decided to test it out. And I read it at a family party, like, shortly after. And it was very well received by everybody from my 80-year-old, like, great aunt to kids probably who are too young to hear that level of profanity. When he realized the thing had legs, he set about making it into a book. I called my friend Ricardo to do a couple sample illustrations and... You know, it made its way to um, my friend Johnny Temple, who's the publisher of Akashic Books, which is a, an indie based in Brooklyn, that I thought would be, you know, if anybody was going to get this and be willing to do it, it would be Akashic. And I knew that Johnny had a couple small kids who didn't sleep. He had told me stories about, he had kids who like only fell asleep in the car. So he'd be driving through like three boroughs a night. I had another friend who, whose kid would fall asleep in the car and she would just drive around the block. And she did it so much that like her right side tires wore out <laughs> like a year before her other tires. Johnny, the publisher friend, said he wanted to put out the book. But even then, it wasn't a done deal. 
you know, it was funny. We went through this this phase where he wasn't really sure he should publish it. I wasn't really sure he should publish it. He thought it was funny. I thought it was funny, but we also thought that maybe we were the only ones who would think this was funny. And, you know, they weren't in the business of publishing this kind of book. First of all, because this kind of book didn't exist. Like, this genre wasn't really a thing. But they didn't do illustrated books. They didn't do kids' books. They didn't do fake kids' books. And he was like, okay. But he didn't publish it. And he was like, yeah, I don't know, man. And I was like, I don't know either, man. We might just be shitty parents. We were flummoxed by basic stuff like where in a bookstore would you stock this? Johnny printed out a copy and brought it to Greenlight Books around the corner from his house in Brooklyn and was like, what do you guys think of this? And they were like, we love it. It's hilarious. And he was like, where would it go? Because, you know, we were like, it's not, it doesn't go in the kids section. And they were like, we put it in the parenting section. And I remember Johnny called me and was like, Adam, there's a parenting section. <laughs> you know, confirming the, the earlier thesis that maybe we we're just bad parents. It turned out that they were not the only ones who thought the book was funny. We send it off to press. It's not supposed to come out until October of 2011. But in April of 2011, I give a reading of it. I had just gotten a PDF of it, like the finished PDF. And I figured, I, I had been asked to give a reading at a, at, a, at a museum in Philadelphia, where I was living at the time. And it was like this evening of salon performances, like 10 minute performances, and there were like a billion of them. And there were probably 200 people there. I read the book and it really, it was well received. It really went over well. There was a lot of laughter, but I didn't really think anything of it. And I woke up the next day and I thought to check the book's Amazon ranking because the book had just gotten an Amazon page, which they, you know, often do many months ahead of publication. I think because I was curious whether it even had a page and also people at the event had been like, where can I buy the book? And I was like, you can pre-order it on Amazon, maybe, <laughs> you know? So I, I guess I figured I should check whether they even could. And, and lo and behold, I open up the book's Amazon page, and the book is ranked 125th in the category of books. I, at that point, I was a, a literary novelist. And, you know, if, if your book is like a four-figure number, not a five or a six or a seven-figure number, you're excited. 125 was a number so low that it was absolutely mind-boggling. But 125, clearly something was happening. And by the end of the week, the book was number one on Amazon. This book, which did not yet exist, which was not even going to be shipped back from, like, you know, China on the slow boat for, like, another six months, pretty much. And, and, and then we started, there started to be media, there started to be attention. This book that nobody had ever heard of, from this publisher nobody had ever heard of, from this writer that, like, you know, maybe 20 people had ever heard of was suddenly sitting pretty at number one and, and staying there. Adam and his publisher realized that they had to speed up publication of the book. They figured it was having its moment and they didn't want to miss it. We figured this was like one of these crazy blips. And by the time the book actually came out, everybody would have forgotten about it. And we were going to have to try to jumpstart their memory and this kind of thing. The book stayed at number one until publication day and then for, you know, many months afterward. But that wasn't the end of the drama. Maybe two weeks after it hit number one, the PDF that we had put together and were circulating to booksellers in order to familiarize them with the book 
and try to get them to support a book called Go the Fuck to Sleep, which seemed like maybe an uphill battle to us. This PDF went viral and was like ricocheting around the internet and landing in hundreds of thousands of people's inboxes. And we were terrified when this PDF hit, like we thought we might be dead in the water. I mean, why would you buy it? It's free now. But it's a bad look to show up at a baby shower with a low resolution, printed out, stapled together PDF and be like, congratulations, we love you so much. Like here's some garbage I printed off the internet. So it, it didn't hurt us. I think it helped because it allowed people to see what was in the book. And possibly as significantly, it gave people a sense of ownership. It gave people a sense that they were part of this and that they had discovered something. People weren't just sharing the PDF that arrived in their inboxes. They were making their own recordings of it and sharing those as well. It's a verse and it's a rhyme and it's, it lends itself well to being read out loud. And we definitely got a huge boost from the number of people who took it upon themselves or in some cases were paid handsomely to like do recordings of it or videos of it. When Sam Jackson recorded it, that took it to like a whole new level. And that was released on the day the book came out. You know, and at this point, the, the list of people who've read it is like a ridiculous one. Jennifer Garner, Gilbert Gottfried, Judah Friedlander, Tandy Newton, Jenna Elfman did a music video of it. He forgot to mention Werner Herzog. The cops in the lions are snoring. <laughs> Wrapped in a big snuggly heap. How come you can do all this other great shit, but you can't lie the fuck down and sleep? The seeds slumber beneath the earth now, and the crops that the farmers will reap. No more questions. This interview's over. I've got two words for you, kid. Fucking sleep. I think it's in like 40 languages and Jamaican Patois, which I'm the most proud of. Because only two books have ever been translated from so-called standard English into Patois. One is the Bible and the other is Go the Fuck to Sleep. But only one of them has an audiobook by Shaggy. And it's not the Bible. While no one could have predicted how wildly popular this fake children's book would become, in retrospect, it's not hard to understand its appeal. It gave voice to something that was a pretty universal sentiment, but had been forbidden to articulate out loud. Which is, I think, at the heart of why sleep is, is so tricky and so agonizing for parents, and eating also are because these are basic human like life drives. And the idea that you can't convince a small child that they should like put nourishment into their body or that they should sleep makes you feel like a, an abject failure, which in turn leads you to question your parenting, which in turn leads you to isolate yourself from the long trajectory of people who have felt this way over the years, which is funny because you know, we talk about parenting incessantly in this culture, but there are still certain things that people hesitate to be honest about. The difficulties, the times when you want to, like, strangle your kid. There's a, there's a lot of people out there who, I guess, the book gave them a certain kind of permission to speak about it, to own it. A certain kind of catharsis just in reading it and knowing that they were not alone and knowing that this 
profanity-laced interior monologue was was not something that they had to be embarrassed about, was not something that was unique to them. Case in point. All the kids from daycare are in dreamland. The froggy has made his last leap. Hell no, you can't go to the bathroom. You know where you can go? The fuck to sleep. The owls fly forth from the treetops. Through the air, they soar and they sweep. A hot crimson rage fills my heart, love. For real, shut the fuck up and sleep. The weird irony of the book is it's sort of about good parenting in a way because all of this, all of this rage is not expressed in any way to the kid. You swallow that and continue like doing your job and being a good parent. I had doctors telling me that they gave it out to their new parent clients who were kind of like flustered and worried and concerned they were doing everything wrong and you know it kind of punctured the bubble of of preciousness maybe around parenting on some kind of level i think it allows you to forgive yourself and forgive your kid and and laugh i mean i think laughter is a very underrated <laughs> tactic when it comes to parenting it's tempting to think that this book with its public venting of private dark thoughts would appeal mostly to modern, overthinking parents. I hear from people all the time who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s. I hear from grandparents. I hear from people whose kids are out of the house. And they remember feeling this way. And it's not, I think, unique to some sort of like hipster parent in their 40s or 30s or whatever. I think it's actually much more universal. It's definitely a lot of like, I wish I'd had that book when my kids were young. Of course, a book called Go the Fuck to Sleep has not been without its critics. So it was like, I would never read this book to a child, which, you know, I've never understood like what blend of literacy and illiteracy it would take to mistakenly read the book to a child. Like it's, it says fuck on the cover, you know? There was a, a group in New Zealand that tried to get the book banned. Their press release, which I have somewhere in this room, like I kept it because I thought it was very funny. It said something like, while this book may be harmless and even amusing in the hands of normal, well-adjusted adults, it could be dangerous in the hands of aggressive, like, unstable adults. And I was like, as, as is literally everything. Adam's written some other humorous books, including one called You Have to Fucking Eat. These days, though, he's mostly back to writing novels and adapting them for TV and film. But it's the irreverent book about kids and sleep that looms above all else. It had the effect of obliterating, in some ways, everything else I'd ever done. You know, I went from a guy who was known, you know, to whatever extent I was known, for like writing serious novels about like race and identity and culture and class, to the guy who wrote Go the Fuck to Sleep. And, and uh, every time I do something else, that for a minute has me getting any attention for any other reason. I'm like, is this a thing? Like, will I no longer be the go the fuck to sleep guy? You know, like I, you know, I wrote this movie that came out last year and like for a month it was like, I was just the, the writer of Barry. And then it like, it went away and I'm like, like I, and, and then like I sold a TV show a few months ago based on one of my novels. And, 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 and when the, the trades picked it up, it was like, new show from the author of Go the Fuck to Sleep. And it's like, in no way am I complaining. This shit is not a problem. It's just, it's funny to me. Adam has a new baby now, and he's doing things a little differently than he did the first time. 
As with many second-time parents, he's lightened up a bit. I think kids are ultimately pretty resilient, and as long as they feel safe and secure and loved, um, they can fucking sleep on their own occasionally. Ultimately, there's no way to do it perfectly. I mean, we're certainly fucking our kids up because that's a time-honored human tradition. The flowers doze low in the meadows and high on the mountains so steep. My life is a failure. I'm a shitty-ass parent. Stop fucking with me, please, and sleep. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Most of the other music in this episode is from Pollen, an awesome music and sound design collective based in San Francisco. Thank you, Pollen. Nocturne is produced with support from KCRW's Independent Producer Project, which provides resources to creative storytellers around the world. Thanks to Audible for supporting Nocturne. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com slash nocturne or text nocturne to 500-500. The Nocturne team is incredibly lucky to include Robin Galante, who creates all the beautiful art for the show, and Eric Peterson, who created our website and puts out fires to keep it running smoothly. Go to nocturnepodcast.org to hear past episodes and find out more about the show. You can also support Nocturne by clicking on the donate button. Nocturne is proud to be a member of The Herd, a collective of smart and beautiful storytelling podcasts. Find out more at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Thanks for listening. So the book is dedicated to my daughter. The dedication reads, For Vivian, without whom none of this would be possible. The cats nestle close to their kittens. The lambs have laid down with the sheep. You're cozy and warm in your bed, my dear. Please go the fuck to sleep. The windows are dark in the town, child. The whales huddle down in the deep. I'll read you one very last book if you swear. You'll go the fuck to sleep. The eagles who soar through the sky are at rest. And the creatures who crawl run and creep. I know you're not thirsty. That's bullshit. Stop lying. Lie the fuck down, my darling, and sleep. The wind whispers soft through the grass, hun. The field mice, they make not a peep. It's been 38 minutes already. Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Go to sleep. All the kids from daycare are in dreamland. The froggy has made his last leap. Hell no, you can't go to the bathroom. You know where you can go? The fuck to sleep. The owls fly forth from the treetops. Through the air they soar and they sweep. A hot crimson rage fills my heart, love. For real, shut the fuck up and sleep. The cubs and the lions are snoring, wrapped in a big snuggly heap. How come you can do all this other great shit, but you can't lie the fuck down and sleep? The seeds slumber beneath the earth now, and the crops that the farmers will reap. No more questions, this interview's over. I've got two words for you, kid. Fucking sleep. 
The tiger reclines in the simmering jungle. The sparrow has silenced her cheek. Fuck your stuff, bear. I'm not getting you shit. Close your eyes. Cut the crap. Sleep. The flowers doze low in the meadows and high on the mountain so steep. My life is a failure. I'm a shitty ass parent. Stop fucking with me, please, and sleep. The giant pangolins of Madagascar are snoozing as I lie here and openly weep. Sure, fine, whatever, I'll bring you some milk. Who the fuck cares? You're not gonna sleep. This room is all I can remember. The furniture, crappy and cheap. You win, you escape, you run down the hall as I nod the fuck off and sleep. Bleary and dazed I awaken to find your eyes shut so I keep. My fingers crossed tight as I tiptoe away and pray that you're fucking asleep. We're finally watching our movie. Popcorns in the microwave. Beep. Oh shit. God damn it. You gotta be kidding. Come on, go the fuck back to sleep. The end.